It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Aminio left the building. Guerrero lifts one to left field, and gone! Oh, Tani! That was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I'm going to say it. And I'm going to keep saying it. It's not over yet. (laughs) Three and a half games back with five to play. The E is not next to the A's name on MLB.com when it comes to the wild card. When it comes to the division, the E is there. They are eliminated from the American League West. But they're still, I don't even know how. I I mean, trying to figure this thing out. I mean, the Yankees right now, they lead the wild card. They've won six in a row. So if it ended today, the wild card would be at Yankee Stadium. They'd be taking on the Red Sox. The Blue Jays are a game back. So neither the Yankees, Boston, or Toronto played yesterday. The Mariners are a game and a half back. Well, the A's are three and a half back of the second wild card. So it is what it is. And Commander, you told me, by the way, on the show today, another great show for you today, Anthony Castrovince from MLB.com is going to be here. Bill Moriarty, from uh, who covers the minor leagues for the A's, better than anybody. He'll be here at 430. Castrovince at 5. And then Martin Gallegos will join us after Bob Melvin's Zoom call somewhere around 540. You gave me a horrible stat about the A's right before we went on the air. What was that about the A's having leads and blowing leads? Yeah, so Buster Olney, our good friend, tweeted this out earlier. It's from Elias Sports. No, not for me. Uh, not from the family. Um, no relation. But from Elias Sports, the A's have lost 12 games that they've led by three or more runs. Only the Nationals have lost more. They've lost 16. That's terrible. That's not good. So let's just say you win half those games. Where would you be in the standings if you won six of those games? You are the number one wild card. Oh, you're actually challenging the Astros. Exactly. You think about that. 88, 89, 90, 91, 92, 93. 
if you add six wins out of those 12 losses, let's say you actually split that, those six wins, you'd have a two-game lead in the in the American League West. Houston only has 91 wins. You'd have 93. Literally blowing all of these games late, that solo home runs, there's going to be certain things that we're going to look at at the end of the year, why the A's didn't make the postseason. And I think we'll talk about, you know, how how bad they played against teams that were 500 or better and how much the Mariners have owned the A's. So seven out of the last nine years, the Mariners have won the season series against the Athletics. But I think, and, and you know what? We had we have a caller, Robert in Portland, who brought that up to me on the A's Clubhouse show. And I never really thought about that, how we have really struggled against the Mariners. Cody, have you really thought about that? Like, I just I just didn't put two and two together. I mean, you don't think, you know, year to year, you know, how are we against the Angels or the Rangers or the Mariners or the Astros? I did not realize seven out of the last nine years, which have been good years, these have either won the division or they've been to the playoffs. All those years, losing to the Seattle Mariners. It's kind of shocking. Yeah, if you go back and look, the A's are 66-94 and 94 against the Mariners dating back to the start of the 2013 season, which is the A's worst mark against any American League team over that span. I told you yesterday, ever, I had it before, and I didn't go back and look today, but ever since Bob took over in 2011, the numbers versus Seattle are not great. He's good against every team but Seattle. I, I don't I don't know what it is. I mean, there's always that foe in different divisions in sports. I don't know. Apparently, I guess the Raiders are now the Chiefs' foe in the AFC West, and you got I mean, what? Uh, yeah. Well, they when did that happen? Well, they circled the buses last year at Arrowhead. Remember? Uh, yeah, that, yeah. 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 No, I I I've been to Raider games at Arrowhead where uh, Raiders weren't much of a foe to anybody. Yeah, it was a track meet, and the A's were coming in last as the Chiefs were blowing us out. So I, I would I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, so ten straight the A's have dropped to Seattle. That's the longest losing streak versus any team since they dropped ten straight versus Houston, uh, July twentieth of twenty sixteen through April twenty eighth of twenty seventeen. I mean, did you check? Did you did you check fan graphs today? Oh yeah, the the playoff odds. Yeah. What do you th- what do you think they are? Zero. Point one percent. Bingo. You got it. Do you realize the A's at one point were at 62.5% chance to make the playoffs? I mean, that's hard to believe. They were at 62.5% on August 12th. Little over a month, it's now 0.1%. You realize what the A's record is from August 12th to where we are today? Oh, I know it's not as bad as the Orioles and the Padres, but... Uh, no, the Padres are in a total... By the way, the Padres are in a total free fall. It's, I think the Padres record since like August, I think it was the 11th or something. Was They were like 11 and 29 or something like that. It was brutal. Uh, the A's are probably, uh, they're under 500, obviously, but I don't know exactly. 15 and 23? 18 and 24. 18 and 24. 
And by the way, if you want a good trivia question, Mitch Haniger, the kid from the South Bay, who missed all of last year with surgery, according to Stats, Inc., he's got the third most homers in MLB history by a player who didn't play in a game in any professional league the previous year. If you can pull out the two guys that are ahead of him, I know. didn't play at all the year before and then hit a ton of bombs the next year. Can you name these two? I know one of them for sure. It's Ted, right. Williams. It's Ted Williams. Because of war. Yeah. Um, let's think. Let me think. Um, is, the guy, is the guy a Hall of Famer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, is it Willie Mays? So it was Ted Williams in 1946. Obviously, he missed the year before because of the war. He hits 38. And the same thing for Willie Mays, as Willie Mays served in our military. 1954, Willie Mays, after not playing the year before, hit 41. That's incredible. The, the, it, it, it's remarkable for what Hanniger's done. And the Mariners have two guys in, on, in their lineup that have 35 or more home runs, Seeger and Hanniger. The Giants don't have one guy that has 30 home runs, and they're going to finish leading the National League at home runs. But it's Hanniger's year is unbelievable. He, I don't think he's going to be. What do you think? Do you think he's going to be a Mariner starting next season? I, I don't think he will be. Mitch Hanniger? Yeah, I think, I think Seattle still tries to trade him. Wow. I mean, that at some point you have to ask yourself, what, 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 what are you doing up in the Pacific Northwest? I mean, you, you, you claim that you were in rebuild mode and all of a sudden in rebuild mode, you're 87 and 70. Like, at what point does Jerry DePoto, the general manager, have to start saying, we're now in it to win it? We're now trying to win. You're really going to trade Mitch Hanniger? I mean, really, like, like, how many years do you think you get to rebuild? Well, not only that. You haven't, like been, to the, you haven't been to the playoffs since 2001, you got a guy that, I don't know, a couple more. I mean, he may get to 40 home runs. What, five games left? Well, God, the way, by the way, the way the way Mitch Hanniger has played against the A's this year, he's got six home runs against the A's during the Mariners' 10-game winning streak against the Athletics. He's slugging 838, 12 RBIs, and he scored nine runs during that time. Uh, like you're gonna trade that guy? Like, like I, I can't even imagine. Like, how does that go over? Well, it's it's not like uh, it's not like Kaniger's making a much money. He's making you know how much money he's making this year for Seattle. Probably nothing. He's making three million dollars this year. He's he's salary salary arbitration. He's arbitration eligible eligible. Geez, next year, and he can become a free agent in 2023. So you can essentially get him for one more year. And then trade them, or trade them next year if the team starts not if the team doesn't perform well next year. But I can, I just can't see them if they somehow get in or they finish with ninety plus wins, which they may. And then you trade Hanniger away, and you let Seager walk in free agency because you're not going to pick up his option. Hey, can I can I trade you V Mile Machine for Mitch <laughs> Hanniger? Uh, well, you can trade a lot of guys. To pick I'll, up give, I'll give you a Seth Brown, Sky Bolt. <laughs> I mean, he's what he's hey, who, whoever is on the Stockton ports that we saw down in San Jose. 
Who do you want? Can you imagine Mitch Haniger? I mean, you're not going to have Ramon Laureano. Odds are Starling Marte is not going to re-sign. How about trading for Mitch Haniger? Uh, he'd be a good fit. He's going to be 31. Mark Hanna could be leaving as a free agent. You're going to need out. You're going to need outfielders. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not like you can throw out there. Uh, it's uh, it's not the uh, the outfield next year isn't going to be uh, when Ramon comes back. What if the outfield is Ramon, Seth Brown, and Luis Barrera? Uh, Stephen Piscotti. Oh yeah, Piscotti. Yeah, he makes seven and a half million dollars. So for going into and, next and year, there's no way you're going to be able to trade him. Uh, yeah, so. Hanniger would be a good move. He'll be 31 next year. So it's not like you're you're acquiring a young player, but you're acquiring a guy that's still in the prime of his career coming off of his best year in the majors. I Sky Bolt, Seth Brown, V-Mile Machine. Paul Blackburn. Paul Blackburn, <laughs> Dalton Jeffries. You can have them all. And I'll take, I'll take, I'll take me some the new Mitchie two bags. Actually, he's Mitch. He's Mitchy Godyard. Mitchy four bags. I mean, he's having he's having an incredible year. Will he be the comeback player of the year? I I know our buddy in Baltimore. The circumstances are probably going to lead to him. But thirty-seven home runs. Yeah, I'm, I forgot. Me, uh, Mancini has. I don't know. Trey kind of tailed off. He he's going to get it, and rightfully so. I mean, he beat colon cancer. Yeah, I mean, so on, right, again, rightfully so, he should get it. He yeah. has 21 homers and 70 RBIs on the year. Trey does. Where what? Hanniger has 37 homers and how many RBIs on the year? He's close. To, he's closing it on like 80, 85. I think he even has maybe closer to. He might end up closer to 90. Uh, he has 94, so he might even get 100. Hanniger might get 140 and 100. Uh, I don't know. That's that's. Well, he got five games, so eh, he could pull it off. He could do it tonight the way he, they're playing against the A's. They a, have outscored the A's during this winning streak. The Mariners have won 10 straight, and they've outscored the A's 55 to 28. 55 to 28. It's sad. But I think that stat that you had is a great stat uh, of 12 losses where you had at least a three run lead. That kind of tells you everything you need to know. Like I said, you split that. Let's say you take six of those and make them wins. You're in first place right now. And we're not even talking about the wild card. Yeah, you're talking about are the Astros or would the Astros be able to catch catch the A's because they're playing Tampa and um uh who they and this oh they're playing the A's end the season. So you're playing the Astros, the Astros would actually be the number one wild card team. Yeah, it'd be them and the Yankees. So you 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 you'd be talking about Yankees, Boston, Toronto, all playing for the second spot in the wild card to face Houston in Houston. God, that pisses me off. I mean, when you think about that, that just that it, it fries me. The A, the, I mean, the fact that the A's are not going to be in the postseason. This team should have been in the postseason. Once again, August twelfth. Does that seem that long ago? To you, Cody, no, August twelfth. No, but even, like just quick sitting here last night when the, it's the sun went down at seven o'clock, I'm like, where's where's the last month gone? We're at the end of September already. So no, it doesn't seem like it's that long ago, but it is. It's already been a month and a half. August twelfth, the A's had a sixty-two point five percent chance to make the postseason. Just over a month ago, it was like almost a guarantee that they were going to be in. 
And now we're looking at 0.1% chance that the A's could be in the postseason. Was that the 0.1? Was that the series in Cleveland that August 12th where they won the 17 nothing game? I don't even remember. I think that's when it was. And then because the following weekend we played the Giants, and that's when the bullpen tailspin started, you know, the wheels fell off the bullpen. When we had all the collapses against the two against the Giants with uh, Lamont Wade Jr. and, and, um, Donovan Solano, and then the bullpen just it just it all came up it all fell apart. And it's when Bassett had the injury in Chicago before that. So August twelfth was the game that the A's had won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in a row. They blew out the Cleveland Indians seventeen nothing, and they were heading to Texas. And then it all went downhill from there. Remember that sweep of the tribe? So August 12th, the A's win 17 to nothing. And they got a 62.5% chance of going to the playoffs. Then you go to Chicago, you lose three of four, you lose two of three to the Giants, you get swept in a two-game set against Seattle, you lose... You split a four-gamer with the with the Yankees. You win two out of three against Detroit, and this is where it goes bad. You get swept in Toronto, a three-game set. You kind of rebound, though, and take two out of three from Chicago. But then here you go against the, against the Rangers. They take two out of three from you. I mean, you look how they've played in division. It's been terrible. They've been terrible in division. Terrible. And, you know, the bottom line is when you're barely 500 in division, you're not going to win it. They're 36 and 35 in the West. Are we call is Bill coming up here? Or is he at 430? 430. Okay. So he's still got time. And I'm calling him. On a landline. Another person with a landline. The list is growing. The last of the Mohicans. But yeah, you look at what the A's did this year in division. It's just not good. I mean, you, you gotta be able to beat the people in your division. And what's their record now against teams that are 500 or better? 30, uh, 31 and 49. Oh. It is what it is. Now, Cole Irvin, by the way, is taking blame for why the A's are not doing well against the Mariners. I'm not buying this. I didn't I didn't buy it last night in the clubhouse show, and I'm certainly not buying it today. But go ahead, Cody. Play what Cole said. Was this back in May? Yeah, it was May 25th after his first start of the year versus Seattle. Uh, here's All right. Some, here's, what Cole Irvin, here's what Cole Irvin had to say. Really, a team like that, I mean, yeah, I, there was a lot of weak contact and, and some swings that, you know, ended up being hits. But I think at the at the end of the day, uh, you know, just pitch pitch execution needs to be a lot better. And, and, a, a, and a team like that should not be putting up 10 hits against – against me or or anyone i mean i'm 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 extremely disappointed in in my efforts tonight and 
<laughs> a team like that should not be getting 10 hits. Shots fired. I don't. Is that really that big of Bolton board material? I, I, I guess if you're a Mariner player and a guy like, I mean, it's not like Max Scherzer saying that, or it's not like DeGrom, or it's not, you know, it's Cole Irvin. I mean, I, I guess if you're the Mariners, I mean, if I'm a Mariner, I'm going, who's that? Who's Cole Irvin? Do, do you want a stat about Cole Irvin? He's the first guy to ever do this. In five starts versus Seattle, Cole Irvin became the first pitcher in Major League history to go 0-5 in a season against the Seattle Mariners with his 869 ERA, 19 earned runs, and 19 and two-thirds innings. Also the highest of any starter with a minimum of five starts against the Mariners. So the Mariners took it to heart what he said, and they pounded him every start he had. His first, first start versus Seattle was the 25th of May where he made those comments after, and the other four starts after, they absolutely took him apart. Now, I'm not blaming this on him either, but, I mean, he owned up to it, and he said, I should have made these comments, and, I mean, I gave you the numbers. An 8.69 ERA he had in 19 and two-thirds innings or Seattle this year in five starts. Well, yesterday, three innings, six hits, five runs, all earned, three walks, four strikeouts. Let's hear from Cole after the game, and he's owning it. They're in the playoff race for a reason. They're a good club. They find ways to, to win ball games, and they have a lot of success against us. And so I don't know what it's attributed to. Um, I feel like on my end, I just haven't pitched well. I haven't even got past the fifth inning against these guys. So um, they're, you know, they're, they're competing against us. They don't, there's, there's something about us. They don't like probably, probably from my comments earlier in the year. So, you know, they got a lot, they got more, more blood in the water and they're, they're hungry. Are you buying it? I mean, I can see them being motivated against Cole, but what about the other? Uh, what about the? Other, they've won ten in a row, so it can't be all uh, all uh, not every start against Cole, <laughs> but still, I mean, there's something about the there's something that, that's going on about the maybe Seattle's tired of being bullied around by everyone else in the division, and they they're finally because you look on paper at this team, you don't think that they would be a team that's going to win close to ninety games. I mean, I'm just being honest as a guy, numbers guy. Why not? Why not? They win close games. Well, I know, but you, but everyone always tells me, well, their batting average, team batting average stinks, so they shouldn't be winning games. Well, the thing is, what you know, we get so locked into numbers and oh, run. To, what's the run differential? We're playing a sport, and the sport is, I've got to score more runs than you by the end of twenty-seven outs, right? We, we, we try and make things so complicated. In the end, all I need to do to beat you is I got to have more runs when the final out happens. I know that's Captain Obvious, but we forget we're playing a sport. It's like we make baseball into being more than just a sport with all the analytics and all the data. But in the end, it's a sport played by human beings. And what do the Mariners do? They win close games. So what does that do for you? It puts you in the playoff hunt. I mean, they you, can look at, you can look at every single data point you want. But in the end, the only one that matters is how many W's you got in the win column. 
right? Isn't that, in the end, what matters? That's what's, like, so funny talking. Anthony Castrovince did this article, and we're going to talk to him about it, how the White Sox were really into data in the early 80s. How many playoff appearances they have? Uh, they had one playoff appearance in the 80s. They lost one. They lost, one. They lost in the LCS. It's all about, I mean, the bottom line, it's it's about winning games. People, like, forget about that. I mean, you can look at the Mariners' run differential and go, I, I have no idea how these guys are winning. Well, who cares? Sean Doolittle told us on this program last week, Doolittle said, I don't know what it is. These guys just feel like they're always going to win. That's a dangerous team to go up against. I I don't disagree with them. And, and you look at their numbers, even like they've outscored the A's on the year, too. Not just in the losing streak that the A's have had. They're, they've outscored them 79 to 66. Ty France looks like a Hall of Famer when he plays the A's. Uh, it's impossible to get the guy out. They have a nice, I mean, they have a lot of young players on their team. That's the thing about Seattle is they're building something, and some of their best prospects aren't even up here yet. So they have something. That's why a lot of people like their upside in the future with Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez and uh, Marte and these guys they have in the minors, and they have pitching too. That's why people are really surprised at how far like they, they are ahead in the rebuild. But that's why when you said, uh, can you see them really trading Mitch Hanniger? I, I, I can because it's Jerry Depoto and he likes to trade players away. But, I mean, if, again, if you win 90-plus games and you trade away your best player and you let your other player who hit 35 home runs walk, it's a bad look. But they are – you're right. They're winning games. And Scott Service said he doesn't care about the run differential. They have a – they had something a couple weeks ago. It was like their fun differential. That's what they look at because they are having fun. Their fun differential? Yeah. <laughs> ah, I love it. So that's what you're – I mean, that's what you're looking at. Hey, I'll tell you who hasn't had a fun – a fun differential lately. That'd be your Oakland Athletics. This has not looked like fun. I mean, you look down the stretch and look how they played. I, I know I harped on it yesterday. Like, I, I still, and I don't, I'm not trying to be a bad guy. I'm not trying to make anybody angry. I still can't believe that I was watching Starling Marte and Josh Harrison drinking coffee in the dugout. Not playing. Yet six games left with a day off on Thursday. Now, that's not why the A's lost yesterday. The A's lost yesterday because of pitching. And they're going to have to really think about the bullpen for the future. And Bill Bill Moriarty, uh, coming up in moments, it's going to be, what do the A's have in the system from a standpoint of relievers? Of course, he's with Athletics Farm. And it's like, you know, we Cody and I went down to the San Jose Giants game. And I don't remember, was it the game that we played? Was it the game that the Ports played, or was it was it a Fresno Grizzlies game where every guy kind of out of the bullpen was throwing 100 miles an hour? Oh, it was when we watched San Jose and Fresno. So Fresno's what, the Rockies? That is the, yes, the Rockies. You didn't. You didn't sound very confident. On it is. That. Sorry, they just played in the uh, the low A championship. The Giants swept them. The Giants won the the low A championship the other day. So, but yeah, it's the Rockies and obviously they only had one playoff round. Yeah, that's who. Yeah, back in the day, they used to have like multiple playoff rounds. Yeah, they did. But uh, 
the Giants won uh, all three games. They swept them. Hey, the San Jose Giants, I don't know who any of those guys are, but how many games did we go to this year? Uh, we went to three, I think. We went to two, two Fresno games and the Ports game. Hey, I, I was impressed. The San Jose Giants had players. Now, I'll tell you the one guy that we got that my scouting, uh, Geloff, who's now in AAA, this kid is legit. Three-run double last baseman, night. He what? He had a three-run double last night in AAA. He's legit. He's big. He's athletic. He's fast. You know, you look at him. We drafted him, what, in the second round? Yeah, second round. Of, I don't want to say Virginia is where he, came, where he played college ball. Yeah, he's from the he's he, he yeah he played in the ACC right, so uh, it's either Virginia yeah. or Georgia Tech or something. It, like it that. was I'm pretty sure I'm about ninety percent sure it was uh, Virginia. I'm double checking. Uh, of course, it I pulled up and it doesn't. T- but yeah, it was yeah it was Virginia. He went to Virginia. Yes, he's a Cavalier. Yes, the same school that produced Sean Doolittle and. I'm going to say if there's someone else. No, Pinder went to Virginia Tech. Sorry. Well, I'll tell you this. Now, I don't want to, you know, put the cart before the horse. But with Matt Chapman being 28 and the way things are going with him, this Zach Geloff guy might be the future at third base. Didn't Chapman set a record last night? Uh, That's the most strikeouts uh, passing the great Jack Cust, who... I once said, <laughs> I was on 95-7 the game at the time. It's your guy. I said, Jack Cust is not a Major League Baseball player anymore. And everybody went, wait, what about his OPS? Jack Cust left the A's, played for the Mariners for like, look this up, Cody. I'm going to guess. Because my father passed away. And we had his funeral in San Diego. And my brother and I took all of our family to the Padre game at Petco. Because obviously there was a lot of seats open, so you could get a lot of people in there. And it was just so fitting that the one game that's not an A's game that I get to go to, guess who the Padres were playing? The Mariners. The Seattle Mariners. (laughs) And I'm like, I cannot get away from these guys. I go to them. They're in Japan. They're everywhere I go. The Seattle Mariners are. Jack Cust in his first at bat. I have. I couldn't even tell you who was pitching for the Padres. Strike three called looking, and I went, "That's him." So I'm gonna guess. Jack Cust left the A's and played in like 63 or 64 games for the Mariners before they let him go, and he never played in the big leagues again. How close am I? Uh, well, it was 2011. It's his last game. I'm trying to find the the game log. You're talking about in Seattle or the, in San Diego before I called Bill. Um, that's weird. They have like one random game in San Diego that they played on May 20th. Um, they the Mariners ended up winning, but he won 0 for 1 with a strikeout. I was there. Yeah, because I don't. How but, many games after the a Bob Guerin? Bob Guerin called Jack Cust our best player. We let him go, and he played how many more games of Major League? It's like 63 or 64, somewhere in that range. Um, on, I'm on his page right now, but it's my computer. Okay. Because um, his last year with Oakland was 
2010. He played 67 games with Seattle. 67. I'm off three. That's it. Then went to, like, Philadelphia and was in the minor leagues. He was called our best player, and he only played 67 more games after we said goodbye to him. And Matt Chapman just passed him in strikeouts. That is hard. That's scary That's to scary. me. At 20 years. How many strikeouts is Chapman at right now? I'd have to pull it up real quick, but it's he's closing in on 200. I mean, unbelievable. Bill, how are you? Chris Townsend with the A's. Good. How are you guys doing today? We, we are doing great. And, you know, we had David Forrest on last week. And I think the number one thing, and something I know you're going to appreciate, is the fact that we got a minor league season in. Because a lot of us, I, I would not have bet on that. You know, you got these kids traveling buses. You got the Delta variant. I would have thought no way we got a minor league season in. So no matter what the stats are and what guys did, wouldn't you just say what a success, the fact that the A's and all of minor league baseball got played this year? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you consider that so many of these minor league players did not actually play in competitive games since 2019, I mean, that's such a long time. I mean, they were sidelined for about a year and a half without actually competing. So to get back out there on the field, be able to play competitive games and get, get their development going again. I mean, that's a huge amount of time for young players to miss. So it was great that they were basically able to get in a real season this year. I'll tell you one downside, though, is there were so many um, uh, minor league pitchers with injuries this year. I mean, there were periods where there were, you know, probably uh, 20 minor league pitchers in the A system on the IL at any given time. So that time off did, you know, I think I did did hurt some arms development, that's for sure. But uh, hopefully they're they're getting back in the swing of things now. Do you think this will all this will also affect going into next year? It, you know, it's quite possible. I mean, it, it, development is such a you know is such a tricky thing to, to, to miss any period of time can really set guys back. And you know, it, it, certain people were at really critical stages of development. I mean, you know, guys like Austin Beck or Lazaro Armenteros who really kind of needed to make that turn and then had that long time off and then came back this year and just really didn't take it to that next level and maybe even looked like they regressed a little bit, you know, so it, it, missing that time may be the critical factor in some players either eventually making the major leagues or being considered busts. Yeah, you know, and, and I try and explain it in other sports terms. It's like for two years, you never get on a golf course. You only go to the driving <laughs> range. Think about it. <laughs> Only go to the driving range for two years, then all of a sudden you got to get back and try and score on a golf course. Or you can look at like what whether it's basketball, basketball, football, you name it. I, I just feel so bad for these guys, and hopefully, you know, hopefully they can they they can live up to that potential. But yeah, can I mean none of us can really imagine what it would be like to have. You don't work for two years. Right, right. I mean, you know, like you said, imagine you don't go on the golf course for, for, for a couple of years. It's probably going to take you a couple of years just to get back where you were to, yeah. to, to begin with. You know, um, I mean, all these things, all these sports, you know, it's, it's rhythm, it's timing, it's flow, you know, and having that interrupted is, is just really critical to, to whatever you're trying to develop in any sport. So I was just talking to Cody about this. And I texted you a while back about right. 
our lack of velocity. Like, we, we're at a San Jose Giants game against the Fresno Grizzlies, so that's obviously the Giants and the Rockies, and every single kid coming out of the bullpen is pumping 100 miles an hour. It was incredible. <laughs> this is low A, and I'm like, we got guys throwing 86 to 88 in our bullpen. Where are we? Where are we with the A's and dynamic arms in the minor leagues? Well, I'll tell you. You know, I, I wish I had better news for you, but there, you know, there really aren't a lot of super high-level pitching prospects on the cusp right now. Um, one guy that I you can maybe get excited about was the A's third-round pick in this year's draft, uh, Mason Miller out of uh, Gardner-Webb uh, University in uh, North Carolina. You know, he just got maybe six innings in in the Arizona League, but he came right out of the box throwing 100, you know? <laughs> so, um, so that was good to see. As a third-round pick, he could be a guy that maybe moves fast, but he is just starting out. Um, in terms of relievers, as you know, the, the cupboard was pretty bare at, at Vegas. Anyone who had any kind of you know, reasonable arm at all got a shot and usually didn't perform that well at the major league level. But um, at Midland, at Double A, a couple guys to keep an eye out for are Aiden McIntyre, uh, who uh, spent some time at uh, Holy Names there. You might be familiar with that. And um, also Jack Weisenberger, another guy at Midland. Um, in 2019, Aiden McIntyre was a starter in Beloit, and he led all A's minor leaguers in strikeouts that year. He became a reliever this year, and he struck out 67 in 51 innings between Midland and Lansing. And uh, uh, Weisenberger as well had uh, somewhat similar numbers. Uh, I think he struck out about 74 in maybe 53 innings in Midland and Lansing. So those are probably the top relief arms. Um, in terms of starters, the, probably the four best starters in the A's minor league system this year were also the guys that were had the four highest strikeout totals. And those would be right-hander Brady Feigl and left-hander Jared Koenig, both at Midland. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then um, Jack Cushing, a right-hander, and right-hander Colin Palouse, uh, both started in A-ball and ended up at Midland. Those are probably the top starters uh, to keep an eye on at this point. But, you know, they're certainly not, you know, guys that are going to be in the, you know, top 100 Baseball America prospects or anything. But those are probably the best arms to keep an eye out for right now. You know, the one guy that I can't wait to interview, and I want to do it in person, is Nick Allen. So mm-hmm. Nick Allen, his mother and his aunt, I went to school with from grade school all the way through high school. And <laughs> his father is actually our contractor for the restaurant in San Diego. He was he So when I was a freshman, he'd already graduated. But Nick Allen's dad, Nick Allen's mom, his aunt, his grandparents we went to church with. I can't tell you how much I'm rooting for this kid. I know that he signed to go to USC and end up up coming to the A's, but uh, how do you like the bat so far? Everybody knows the glove's good, but he's starting to hit. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's probably at this point that the two top hitting prospects uh, or uh, uh, position player prospects in the system would be Tyler Soderstrom, of course, and and Nick Allen. Um, And and there's not a lot of other sort of high-level position player prospects. Nick Allen, you know, as you mentioned, everyone knows he could play shortstop in the major leagues right now if he had to defensively. 
and the bat was the question. This year he hit right around 320 at Midland, which is great to see. You know that that really was reassuring. Um, he spent uh, he's probably had close to 40 games at AAA now. Um, you know the bat's kind of cooled off a bit. I think he's hitting around 230. He hasn't really been hitting the ball with a lot of authority there. So I think he probably you know, may still need another half season perhaps at AAA to kind of get that figured out. But, you know, he's looking close and seeing that he hit 320 in Midland, which is not, it's not a hitter's league down there. That was encouraging. So maybe just a little more time in AAA and he could be ready to help at the major league level, which would be very exciting. And you mentioned Soderstrom. This kid is such an elite bat. Knowing his background, you know, I played against his dad at Fresno State knowing that the baseball school that he grew up in, you know, I, I know there's always that service time stuff, but I got a feeling he's kind of one of these elite kids that we could see in the major leagues, you know, before he's 21 years old. Do you see it that way? Well, you know, it's interesting because he's still just 19. And, you know, he did exactly what you want a first-round pick to do this year at Stockton. You know, he just came out. He hit with authority. He hit consistently. He really didn't struggle much at all. He, You know, he maybe just went a, you know, a couple games without a hit, and he'd be right back right back on it. Uh, he, he really impressed. He did everything you could expect a first-round pick to do this year. You know, he had a little back issue um, uh, towards the end of the season that kind of cut his season a little short, but he never really struggled. He looked so confident out there. He looked like a, a you know, a major leaguer in, in training. And I, you know, he, he has the potential to move along fast. I mean, he should be at, at high A Lansing next year. You know, if he gets off to a good start there, he could, you know, be a double A by the end of next season. And, you know, then you're not that far away. And, uh, you know, he's working hard at the catching. He's definitely getting better at it all the time. But, as you've said before, you know, if the bat's there, they'll move him along, what, whatever else is going on behind the plate, because he definitely has a special elite bat, and every, everyone in the A's minor league system who's seen him knows that and believes that to be true. Yeah, Fran Reardon said he dominated the alternate site. I mean, he's a kid out of high school dominating against guys that are legit AAA to, you know, maybe big league guys, and he was down in San Jose just eating these guys alive and you just start to think, man, you know, I, I don't know long term what his position is, but the bat plays. What do you he's a really good athlete. I mean, at one point he played shortstop. So what do you yeah. think long term will be for him defensively? Well, there's a, this year, you know, they were giving him uh, <clears throat> occasional starts at first base as well. So that was that was sort of the secondary position he was playing this year. So just based on what we've seen happen, um, you know, they, they've been playing him as a catcher, first baseman this season. <clears throat> it's been talked about he could play third base, he could play a corner outfield position as well. But right now, the most logical place would maybe be uh, first base. And as you were talking about earlier, you know, who knows that as the years go on, what's happening with Chapman and Nolson and all these guys that we've come to come to get used to having around. But as we know, with the A's, people don't stick around forever. So whatever your position is, there, there will be an opening before too long for you, I'm sure. And that's what leads me to Zach Geloff. We saw him with Stockton. I know he's been moved up and he's playing at triple A. I mean, big kid out of college, very athletic, very strong. You know, in, in the game that I saw him, I, I was very, in, very impressed. And if you move him already to triple A, that's that's saying a lot right there. And, I, I, you know, I think the future with Matt with Matt Chapman is so unknown. Is Geloff the replacement? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, he certainly could eventually be. Now, I mean, I don't think he's going to be playing at AAA next year. I mean, he was playing at low-A Stockton uh, initially. And then uh, all the other teams, their seasons ended, and they wanted to give him, you know, some more time. So he, he's gone up to Vegas. But, you know, he's had like four hits in his first seven at-bats there or something. And, uh, you know, he's been hitting over 300. He was the A's second-round pick. So obviously he's got a good pedigree. He's an experienced college player. And, uh, you know, there's no reason – he can't succeed uh, just based on the raw talent he has, and he, and he appears to be fairly refined as well. So he's another guy that should move along fairly quickly, and certainly what we've seen out of him right off the bat um, you know, has looked very, very good. Certainly, if you've got him and, and uh, Tyler Soderstrom sort of moving their, their way through the system, they could both end up being corner infielders and maybe eventual replacements for Chapman and Olsen when the time comes that the A's uh, don't want to don't want to keep paying them anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, there's so much uncertainty with the ballpark and when that ballpark, when they're, you know, shovels in the ground, will it be Howard Terminal? Will it be Las Vegas? I mean, there's so much uncertainty. And I try and tell people, you got to realize, let's just say they get the deal done with Howard Terminal. We're talking 2027, maybe 2028. At that point, Chapman and Olsen are mid-30s. So Yeah, I mean, you know, I know the, the original plan and timeline was sort of geared to, okay, well, we can re-sign those guys at that point. That'll make sense. But as you know, this, things have been so far put off now. And, you know, if you're an A's fan, you have to realize that these people, no matter how much, these guys, no matter how much you love them, these players just don't stick around forever. You know, you can't ex- expect that to happen, especially if we're that far off from a stadium. So as much as we might love these guys and would love to see them stick around forever, I mean, I've been interviewing uh, Matt Olson since he was a teenager and living in a house in Stockton with a two-bedroom house with four other guys, you know. I mean, I, I'd love to see Matt Olson in the green and gold forever, but, you know, I, I'm a lifelong A's fan. I know how these things work. So <laughs> you, you've got to have replacements in the pipeline because uh, very rarely do guys stick around more than five, five or six years with this, uh, this, uh, this team at this point. Yeah, and, and you know what? It really is our business, right? I mean – Teams don't want to pay guys in their 30s. It's just there's always going to be movement. But you know what I want you to address is there is such a different timeline for for a top pick that's drafted out of high school versus college. The college guy, you want to get him to the big leagues pretty darn quick. Right. You don't want him hanging out for a ton of time in the minor leagues. Talk about how different the timelines are. Oh, definitely. Well, you know, even this year, the, the A's had a lot of their um, their recent college picks start out at high A. You know, before, you, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're a high school kid, you're going to start out maybe, uh, you know, in the Arizona League down there at the complex, you know, for a while. But now a lot of their, their college guys are starting out at high A, which, you know, you know, you're not that far removed. Say you have a good first half season, and this happened with some of the college guys. They had a good first half season at Lansing. They moved right up to Midland, you know, so in your first pro season, you know, you're already at double A as a college guy, which, you know, you're, you're, you're a hop, skip, and a jump away from the major leagues at that point. But, you know, someone who's a high school kid, you're going to start out much more slowly, though the A's are now, you know, being a little more aggressive in terms of starting high school kids, say, at Stockton or, or kids of that age. Like you had Robert Poisson, who was an 18-year-old international signing, started at Stockton. Probably this year's first-round pick, Max Muncy, 
He's spent time in Arizona this year, but probably next year he'll be starting out at Stockton too. So probably you're going to see a lot of the high school and the young international signings starting at Stockton, and then you're going to see a lot of the top uh, college picks starting out at Lansing in the future. Yeah, we got to see Poisson when the uh, ports were taking on the San Jose Giants. Uh, obvi- I mean, it's crazy to think these guys signed so young, these international <laughs> signings. It's just it, it's unbelievable. But where are we with him? Uh, well, you know, I, it, first of all, he was the youngest player in the California League for, for much of the season anyway, or the old California League, the, the low-A West League. Yeah. And, so you have to take that into account. But, you know, I think he ended up hitting about 212. Um, you know, he definitely struggled at times. He showed some, some flashes as well. Um, but he didn't, you know, he didn't show as much pop as I think people expected. Of course, he's young. He's going to get stronger and bigger and, and fill out. But I think he only had about, you know, maybe 15, 16 extra base hits and about 90 or so games. And, of course, you know, he struck out probably about 45% of his at-bats, too. <laughs> so he was definitely raw. He was definitely a lot to learn. Um, he is still 18, so we'll see how it goes. But I think a lot of people, I mean, in my opinion, he was a little overhyped in the beginning. Uh, it's still going to be a long development curve with him because – some of those young international signings, they're even sort of behind where the high school kids are because they've just had less coaching, you know, and less time in actual baseball games than, than your average high school kid in the U.S. would have. So that development curve is a little longer for guys like Poisson. I mean, that's crazy. He's just 18 years old, and you're thinking about, you know, traveling in a different country, a foreign language, yep. and trying to survive and perform. I, I mean – all the power to him and good luck. And, and I think it was you who told me this, that, you know, a lot of these guys, all they've done is really practice. Getting back to that yep. golf analogy, there's not a lot of rounds of golf. They've been at the driving range. So when you're in the Dominican yep. or you're in Venezuela, all you're doing is showcasing your talent. You don't play in a lot of games. So they really have to learn how to just play the sport. No, it's absolutely true, and people don't realize that. It's not like there's, you know, all these, uh, you know, games every week or every day or tournaments in, in the Dominican. No, these are really much more showcases. And when you're signing these guys, it's really just based on raw tools because you've really seen very little in-game action of them. You're just, you know, you're just gauging their power and their arm and their actions um, because – that's why these guys require so much more coaching and so much more time. I mean, if you're a, a top high school player in the U.S., you're playing you're not just in the high school games, you're playing in tournaments. You've got some serious coaching. That, that you know, you're, you're learning the game, the finer points. A lot of these international signings, they come here, they have very little experience, very little in-game experience, and they just don't know about the finer points of the game. And it takes a lot of coaching and a lot of time just to kind of get them up to speed. So those guys are really – such a crapshoot you know you're really drafting just on raw or signing just on raw tools with a lot of those international guys i i asked his assistant gm dan feinstein about that at some point and how he evaluates these you know 15 year old kids he's looking at down there and that's what he pretty much said it's it's just raw tools we're just looking at raw tools we really don't have much else to go on at that stage of the game yeah because i mean if you grow up here odds are you played football you played basketball soccer track and field you've played a lot of sports these guys are a whole different ball game, and we got to see him. And obviously, he's a very athletic kid. But I mean, Bill, can you imagine if all of a sudden you got shipped to a foreign country and you're 15 years old and you don't speak the language? 
Can you imagine when you were a kid, if that would have happened to you, it'd be crazy. Oh, no. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, everything we throw in the culture shock on top of everything else, not really having a lot of in-game experience, you know, and then just being this completely alien world. You don't speak the language and everything is different for you. It's such a shock for so many of these guys. But, you know, it's kind of interesting because like Stockton is kind of becoming the first landing spot for a lot of these guys now. And, you know, besides Poisson, you had Brian Buelvis and Junior yeah. Perez and just a ton of these international guys. Um, but at least they feel... That, that Stockton is sort of a better starting point for a lot of these guys um, than, say, Beloit used to be, you know, where you start out the season in, in 30-degree weather, you know, half of April and snow. At least in Stockton, the sun is shining, you know. <laughs> there are people around who speak your native language, you know. So hopefully having Stockton be the first stop for a lot of these guys will maybe help ease that transition a, a little bit more anyway. For God's sakes, I'm a grown man with money, and I had trouble surviving like seven days in Japan. I can't <laughs> like 15 years, 16 years old. That's crazy. Give me some of the guys under the radar who you go, you know what? This guy has proved out he's going to be pretty good. Yeah, there's some really interesting guys, actually, uh, this season. Uh, starting in uh, Midland, there were a couple of guys. Jonah Bride, who was like a 20-something round pick a few years ago, he's done nothing but hit. In 2019, he hit at Stockton. This year in Midland, he led the old Texas league, the double uh, a central league in on base percentage. He had an on base percentage over 400. He's primarily been a corner infielder, third base, first base. They're going to work him out behind the plate a little bit here in instructs and try to make him, you know, one of those uh, sort of super utility guys you can plug in anywhere. But if you can get on base at a 400 clip um, in Midland, that's a pretty good sign. Another interesting guy who started the year at Lansing, ended up the year in Midland is um, middle infielder Max Schumann. He's played a lot of shortstop, a lot of second base. He stole, I think, 53 bases this year and was only caught five times and had a really good on-base percentage, too. Middle infield guy can really kind of play all over the infield, but uh, those are a couple guys that put themselves on the map at Midland. But another guy, uh, Johnny Butler, I don't know if you remember, he was a sixth-round pick of the A's, I think, in 2018 out of high school um, out of Atlanta. Um, uh, I'm sorry, not Johnny Butler, uh, Lawrence Butler. And um, uh, in 2018, I think he's a six-round pick. This year, between Stockton and Lansing, he had, uh, I think, 20, um, uh, 29 stolen bases, 19 home runs, and that was the most home runs of any player not playing in Vegas, um, which tells you something. And uh, I think he was second in walks in the system, uh, just had great numbers across the board, really turned things around this year. Lawrence Butler, first baseman, outfielder, left-handed hitter, and I think he's just 21 still, um, who finished the season at Lansing. And between Jonah Bride, Max Schumann, and, and Lawrence Butler, those are three guys that really turn things around and, and put themselves on the map this year. You know, I, I think it's really, really tough when your triple-A team is playing in Las Vegas. It's it's yep. great for travel. There's always a flight to get guys here. But, I mean, you just you, you can't trust the numbers. I mean, for God's sake, Seth Brown and Sky Bold are all world at triple-A. <laughs> you put them up here and they can't hit. So it's like, how yep. do you really judge the numbers? The pitchers aren't that bad and the hitters aren't that good. You know, it's an interesting question. By the way, catcher Carlos Perez has, I think, 30 home runs now at Las Vegas this year. I'm um, sort of a journeyman, you know, <laughs> journeyman yeah, he, catcher. He's next Johnny Bench, let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think the, if I'm correct, I think the team ERA in Vegas is about five. 
80, I think. So it, it, it is hard to judge things. But, you know, I was talking to the A's minor league pitching coordinator, Gil Patterson, recently about this. And I was thinking of you because I thought you'd appreciate this. And I was asking him, how can you evaluate these pitchers, you know, when all these fly, fly balls are just sailing out of the ballpark? And he said, look, at, we look at the exit velocity on every home run hit, and we determine whether or not that – would normally be a home run or would normally be a fly ball. And he said they tell the AAA pitchers, don't worry about the home runs. Pitch like you need to pitch, and we will determine. We'll know which of those are real home runs and which are fake home runs, and we're not going to hold them against you. You know, <laughs> so uh, so they've they've got a way to do that with the pitching. It's still hard for the pitchers to want to <laughs> put the ball over the plate there, but but they try to let them know pitch the way you know you need to pitch, and and we we know how to take this into account and figure out which ones are real home home runs and which ones aren't. And if they can do that with the pitchers, I'm sure they can do that with the hitters as well. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you this, it's a beautiful ballpark, and I don't kid yourself, I was hanging out by the pool and the bar in right center when we were there. So, uh, yeah, what, what they got going with Red Rock Casino right across, yep. uh, our, our AAA, I mean, if, if I was a player and I could stay at the casino and just walk over and play games, man, that would be ideal. Yeah, I mean, would you would you rather you know be a player playing there in in Vegas in that ballpark, or or maybe be in, like in Tacoma or Salt Lake City? Oh. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, you know. Yeah, think about it. Like, you want to be in Midland, Texas, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's quite a big jump when you go from Midland to Vegas. That's for sure. I think everyone's pretty happy to make that jump, except maybe some of the pitchers. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 is, it really is tough because these pitchers aren't that bad, but it is what it is. Bill, great stuff as always. Uh, let's be in touch and let's do a lot of stuff during the offseason. Absolutely. Always good talking to you guys. Take care. Bill Moriarty from uh, does a great job covering the minor leagues for the Oakland Athletics at Athletics Farm. And he is uh, he is on it and he knows. Because for me... You're all prospects and you're suspects until you can do it at the big league level. And hopefully some of these guys are going to end up being legit. You know, we talked about Geloff, the third baseman. I mean, Cody, we saw him. He, he looked, you know, he looks the part. He looks like a third baseman. He's got power. He's athletic. He's got a good glove, a good arm. Uh, Soderstrom is somebody that I think is a high, you know, a high IQ kid like when you think about a high school kid i think he's not i don't think soderstrom's gonna be in the minor leagues long i don't think so either you got the better question is is he gonna be a catcher long term is what i want to know don't know i just know that bat remember when fran reardon said hey the guy went to the alternate site he's out of high school he's playing with you know all these guys Prellian, Holmes, Jeffries, he's playing with all these guys who are on the fringe of being in the big leagues, and he was down, he was down there dominating these guys. Yeah, I like the upside for him. You're right about Galoff. Uh, I mean, we really didn't see get to see much. I mean, we saw I saw Lawrence Butler play a lot for Stockton before he got promoted to Lansing, and he was a nice player for Stockton. He was leading the, I think he was like leading low A and like RBIs and home runs at one point. So he was having a good year, and then he got promoted, and then Stockton kind of just nosedived because Soderstrom got hurt, and there was a lot of stuff going on. But there's some guys to be excited about. They, they had a COVID outbreak too, right? Yeah. So you, you MLB.com has our farm system ranked 28th out of possible 30 teams right now. 
Is so, that any good? That's, uh, the, the only two teams below us, the Astros and the White Sox. So, I mean, if you're looking. They're teams that are trying to win, and when you're trying to win, you know, your farm system isn't going to be great because you're going to be trading for big league talent. Yeah, exactly. And that's just the reality. I mean, if, you, if you're a winning franchise, you're not going to have it's very rare. Like what Tampa has been able to do is very rare to have a great minor league system and win at the big league level. That usually doesn't coincide. But some of these players down there that we have seen, these guys are legit. Uh, before we go to break, Will, something that I know about our franchise, when they don't believe in you anymore, they flip you pretty fast. Are you going to be shocked if Matt Chapman is not here next year? No. He uh, he has 199 strikeouts right now, by the way. So he's one away from 200. Like, we've heard the excuse about the hip. But at what point are you going to go, guy's 28, he's represented by Scott Boris, they want 200-something million dollars, and he's hitting 212. Like, how long do you think this marriage is going to last? And you've moved Geloff, a college kid, from A-ball to triple-A. He's not far away. You wouldn't put him in triple-A if you thought he was going to get dominated and... Now, Billy Bean and David Forrest, Feinstein, they might call me an idiot, but I'm just going to tell you this. You don't move a kid to AAA if you don't think he's ready for it because you'd you hurt his confidence. That tells you how much they think about this kid, that they sent him from low A, low A to AAA. That is a huge move. That's passing high A, double A. They moved him to AAA. What do you think the message there is? Uh, that the future is coming faster than than they expected, and and that's not a bad thing to have players that are ready to play. But you're right; I I wouldn't be surprised if going into next year, Chapman's maybe not on the roster, uh, and people are going to be disappointed to hear that and be, well, why would you trade him? Well, you've seen him tail off a lot over the last two years now, especially He's this year. He's never lived up to what we thought he was going to be. Is that fair? Yeah, after the, how good he was in 2018 and 2019, it's just – I mean, yeah, he's going to have the power. I told you who I think he's – who he is. I mean, I, is it an unfair comp? No, I don't, know. don't say that. Don't say that. Are you going to really – No, it's just I, – I won't say, but, you know, I guess – Go ahead. I get, go ahead. I, I want you to go out on that limb. No, I've this has said. nothing – this has nothing to do with Chris Townsend, the Oakland Athletics. This is purely opinion by Commander Cody. Go ahead. I said this on the show when we were at the Coliseum. I said, I think he's a right. If he keeps going on the trajectory he's going on, he's going to be a better defensive version of Mark Reynolds. Oof. Bunch of home runs and he's going to strike and he's going to strike out a lot. Oof. But he has, but he plays better defense. So he's already a better version of Mark Reynolds. <laughs> I mean, Reynolds had a lot of home runs and he drove a lot of runs. He just didn't hit for a high average and he struck out a lot. Hey, Chris Davis. No, not our Chris Davis. The other Chris Davis who retired. He got a lot of money for hitting home runs and, wait for it, striking out all the time. Yeah, but you know what, though? The good years of Chris Davis when he was getting not not our Chris Davis, their Chris Davis, 
he wasn't that. I mean, he got MVP votes. He had monster years. Well, he had 54 yeah. home runs one year. I mean, that's pretty good. Well, he's <laughs> driving in 100 and something. I mean, Chris Davis was a monster. Yeah, I'm going to pull up his numbers. Yeah, pull up his numbers. He's not as bad. And then all of a sudden, he couldn't make contact. And by the way, Art Chris Davis, I'm over it. Uh, 2013, the year that he was the only year that Chris Davis, Chris with a C, not a K, was uh, was an All Star. He was 27. He had 53 home runs. He drove in 138 runs. He had an OPS plus of 168. He struck out 199 times. He had a 286 batting average. 286. And then, oh boy, that's a monster year. Then the next year, 26 homers, 72 RBIs. 173 strikeouts, 196 batting average. How much more do you want to see our Chris Davis? Uh, well, you only have to worry about five more games, and I think that, that marriage is done. Yeah, I just I, – I mean, I was one I of the people know. that was excited to have, about, have him come back because he's killing the ball in AAA, but he's had a couple nice swings, but he hasn't made the home run connection that we thought he was going to have coming back. So if you count his numbers from Texas – let me pull up the box score here. He's hitting 202 with a 614 OPS. You're talking about a guy who led the American League in home runs. Now can't he even have a 700 OPS. And when you and when you can't play defense and your only skill is your bat and your bat doesn't play. I know Matt, you know, that's the whole thing. Matt Chapman, his buddy, oh, Matt Chapman got him back. Like, I think we all know where that is. In 2018, Chris Davis with a C hit 16 homers, 49 RBIs, and 128 games with the Orioles. 168 batting average, 192 strikeouts, and 470 at bats. And he had an OPS of 539. Oh, God. Coming up next, Anthony Castrovince from MLB.com right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, yeah. I got to end this losing streak against the Seattle Mariners. This has been brutal. But earlier today, we caught up with Anthony Castrovins from MLB.com. Interesting article. Before there was Moneyball, they were pounding numbers on where is that in Chicago? Oh, you're talking about the east side, right? Is it the west side? Well, the west side, King Korak told us the west side is like Lake Michigan. Yeah, and you never want to go to the east side anywhere. That's what I've always, that's what people, that's what people tell me. You don't want to go to the east side anywhere. I've never, I, I don't know what the east side is in Chicago. Where, the north side, I've been to the north side. That's where the Cubs are. Where, where, where do the White Sox play? I think it's the, the only, only cardinal direction left is south side. The south side? So they were pounding numbers in the early 80s on the south side of Chicago. They were doing analytics. They were doing data. 
We had a great conversation with Anthony Castrovents. We talked A's and we talked about this article right here on A's Cast Live. Anthony, it's great to have you back on. How have you been? Uh, I've been great. Uh, unfortunately, been better than the A's in the second half. What happened there? I was I was all A's. I was pro A's, and, and they kind of fell apart on me in the second half. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way. I was uh, I, I was keeping trips off the books. I was like, we're going to the postseason. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, it just went bad. And, you know, I, there's multiple teams like that. Whether you look at, like, the A's, you look at the Padres. Yep. I mean, certain teams, you know, why do you think they just tanked all of a sudden? I don't know. You know, the Reds are, are another one in, in that group where, you know, a month or so ago I was penciling in the, the A's and Reds uh, in particular. And um, just a rough stretch. You know, for the A's, I, I really thought Chris Bassett's injury um, I don't think nationally that got as much attention as like a Jacob deGrom injury, for instance. In fact, I argued with somebody about, you know, that being as big a deal to the A's as losing Jacob deGrom was to the Mets. I'm not suggesting that Chris Bassett is the pitcher that Jacob deGrom is, but just in terms of meaning for that team, you know, losing him when they did for how, as long as they did. I don't know. It just felt like that was a, a real seminal moment in, in terms of the direction the A's took in the second half. But um and then, yeah, there's, there's a lot of mysteries out there this year. The Padres uh, obviously did not perform nearly to expectation. Just amazing the, the nosedive they took. Um, that's, that's actually historic uh, in, in terms of where their record was and where they're going to end up. Um, and then the Reds, uh, you know, they just didn't play well against the Pirates. That's what, it, that's what that basically amounts to. The Pirates kind of killed their season. And, and then the, the Cardinals winning 16 in a row didn't help either. Well, you're dead on about Chris Bassett because ever since uh, Chris Bassett got hit in the face, uh, the A's have been well under 500 at that time. And I think it does go to show as much as, you know, we, we're reading your article about the Chicago White Sox. It was, it was a great article. But as much as we look at analytics and as much as we look at numbers, we forget about it's still people playing the game. And when your emotional leader like Chris Bassett leaves the team and is gone, it, it, it shows how much that truly affects the clubhouse. Yes, 1,000%. Matter of fact, I was talking to Tony LaRusso the other day, and, and you mentioned that White Sox article, and what the article is about is how progressive uh, the White Sox were in the early uh, 1980s, um, really even prior to the Moneyball era there in Oakland, um, and, and the way they were willing to incorporate uh, what was at the time advanced analytics uh, into their game plans and whatnot. Um, but at the end of the day, you, these are people playing it, playing the sport. And as, as Tony said, it's, the game is very dynamic. And what he means by that is, you know, you can't script it. Sometimes managers talk about scripting out games, you know, in, in terms of how they're going to use their bullpen. There are teams that draw up their lineups days in advance of the actual game. Um, it doesn't always work so well because things happen day to day. Guys are, you know, momentum is a real thing just in terms of confidence of a ball club and of a ball player in particular. Um, it's just like anything else in life. Sometimes you're just feeling good about yourself and uh, it, it can lead to good things. Sometimes you're kind of down in the dumps and it leads to bad things. And I, I could understand how a moment like that uh, and, and, you know, seeing him injured in the way he was injured in particular, uh, I could see how that could sap some of the life out of that ball club for a bit. You know, when I when I think about Moneyball, and one of the reasons why Moneyball was worth reading and worth watching is because the A's won, and they were making the playoffs during that time. And I think about your article, and I think about the White Sox being so progressive, uh, uh, you know, in the 80s, but it didn't lead to winning. 
I mean, it, it's like hard to believe that the White Sox since 1901, this is like the first time they've ever gone to the playoffs back to back. So they were using analytics way back when, but it wasn't working. Just talk about when you did this article, what it was like. No, so well, uh, it worked for one year, and that's that's the genius of it is they tailored. Uh, so just just to back up, so they in 1982 they uh, started using this computer system. That interestingly enough, the A's were the only other team that had it at that time. The A's were the first team to have it. The White Sox were the second. Uh, it was called Edge 1.000, and it was a, a database. You had to plug in everything that happened in the game, every pitch, where the pitch was, you know, and the outcome of every pitch. And this program would spit out all the data after the fact. And uh, the A's were using it primarily for their broadcast. They were just trying to have fun stats for their broadcast, you know. Um, whereas the, the White Sox were actually trying to do something with it. And uh, what they found from looking at the data was that they were losing more balls on the warning track than their opponents at their home ballpark at Comiskey Park. And uh, so they, they decided to alter the dimensions of the ballpark. And most teams would you know move the fences in uh what the white Sox did they didn't want to move the fences in because they were made out of concrete and they didn't want to have temporary fencing that looks bad so they moved the entire field up they moved home plate and uh the, the pitchers mounted everything up eight feet and they had it all down to a science in terms of how it would impact both their hitters and their pitchers and they they knew they had a pretty similar team coming back in 1983 and, and so they knew it would uh, have a, a great impact on their offense, and they knew that their pitching staff with where their fly balls were distributed and that sort of thing, that it wouldn't have a huge negative impact on them. And lo and behold, they were right. They hit way more home runs at home the next season, and they went to the playoffs for the first time in a generation. Um, it turned out to be one fleeting moment because they weren't able to follow that up uh, the next year after losing in the ALCS. And, and, you know, a couple of years later, Tony La Russa gets fired, and, and they go into a bit of a tailspin. But, um, you know, it's... Uh, it's a fascinating look at, at uh, what was considered novel data, data back then. Now anybody can pull it up. You know, we can pull up spray charts and all that stuff. But for them at that time, that was actually pretty, pretty advanced and, and kind of funny the way they utilized it. You know, it, it, it is crazy when you talk to people that were in baseball, uh, where we are now versus like the 80s, the 70s, the 60s. Uh, a couple of years ago down in San Diego at the winter meetings, we had Sandy Alderson on when he came back to work uh, under Billy Bean. Sandy Alderson talked about making a trade and using the publication Baseball America to look at top yeah. prospects for who he wanted to trade for. You're like, yeah. really? That happened. Yeah, that happened. And uh, and it worked pretty well, as I recall, <laughs> with that trade. So. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's pretty funny. It's the prospect awareness, um, you know, of, of teams nowadays. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was heard something about the other day about the Mariano Rivera trade and, and how, uh, or excuse me about Mariano Rivera nearly being traded, uh, when he was a prospect and he was a, you know, a, a failing starter in the Yankees minor league system, but, uh, his, his velocity increased and, uh, at the time, they nearly traded him uh, until they got the reports from the night before, literally the night before. All of a sudden, he's throwing mid-90s. They say, wait a minute. Uh, and, and they had to confirm those reports internally. Um, whereas nowadays, you know, somebody would be tweeting about it literally while the game's happening, right? And we would all know about it. Uh, so the trade probably wouldn't even uh, get as close to the finish line as it did back then. So, yeah, it's, it's an amazing uh, evolution in the sport. You know, the A's technically are still alive, and we'll play that game. But, you're, you know, you're, you're, you got five games, you're three and a half back. 
But when yeah. you look at the American League, when you look at the Yankees, you look at Boston, you look at Toronto, and you got to throw Seattle in there also. And the A's are taking C- are taking on Seattle for another two days. How do you think this wild card matchup? How do you, how, how do you think this works out in the end? Well, hopefully it works out with a four way tie, or maybe uh, maybe even a five way tie if things get really odd. But uh, you know, I'm always rooting for the tiebreaker chaos. I, I, I would settle for a three way tie if I had to. Um, but I, short of that, short of what I want to happen, I can't tell you what's going to happen because every week we're, we're hot on some team, right? You know, it's, it's yeah. uh, the, the Red Sox come roaring back and, oh, they're definitely going to host the wild card game. And that's obviously then they had this terrible weekend against the Yankees and now they're not going to host the wild card game as of today. Uh, the Yankees are dead until they're not, they've been dead like three or four times this year and, and come back. Uh, the Blue Jays were, were everybody's darling a couple weeks ago and, you know, they ran in some, some tough times since then, and, and now we're, you know, have to fight their way back into playoff position. So it could go any number of ways down the stretch. Obviously, this Yankees-Blue Jays series is, is the prime focus in terms of how it all shakes out. But um, got to love the Mariners just kind of hanging around there. And they've, they've, they obviously played the uh, A's very well in the last week and a half, and, and they're still still in the mix somehow. You look at their, you know, you look at their, their numbers, and you can't really figure it out. But they find a way to win close games, and sometimes that makes a big difference. So it's kind of fun to see them still in the mathematical mix. I mean, it's crazy. They got a minus 52 run differential. We had our old yeah. friend Sean Doolittle on the program when, when Seattle was here, and we asked Do, it was like, how do they keep winning? Like, how do you win all these close games? And Sean Doolittle basically said, Anthony, that – there's something about this team that they always feel like they're going to win. Getting back to not looking at the analytics, not looking at the numbers, yeah. it's just these guys, there's something about them that every single day they rally to win these close games. Yeah, there's also something about just not having much pressure placed upon you, right? I mean, nobody expected the Mariners to be uh, – you know, in, in contention this year, I picked them to win the AL West uh, back in November in the hopes that they were going to have uh, an off season where they actually, you know, bring in some talent. Cause I felt like they're kind of on the cusp of good things, but they didn't have that kind of off season. So uh, I had to change that pick. And, uh, you know, so nobody was really counting on them. And then they also had all these dynamics of, you know, the, you know, the internal politics of, uh, you know, the way their former presidents, uh, you know, terrible comments were, were received in that clubhouse and, kind of playing with a chip on their shoulder about that. And then they trade their closer at the trade deadline and they're upset about that and, and continue to play with a chip on their shoulder. So um, there, there is something to be said though, for just being able to be loose and pressure free and, and nothing is expected of you and every win is kind of a bonus. And that's kind of the way their season has been. You know, t- let, let's take Tampa out. If you had to buy stock in somebody in the American league, not the Tampa Bay Rays, who would you buy stock in? It's so tough. And I've even thinking, uh, even the Rays, I mean, they have, it's, it's, it's a wild card kind of team, not, not literally wild card uh, in terms of playoff format, but just, they got so many young, they got three rookies in their likely playoff rotation, you know, three rookies and a sophomore. So that's, that's uh, nobody knows what to expect from that. Starting pitching still matters in October. So are, are those guys going to be able to post up, you know, we'll see. Um, and you know, the way they mix and match in their bullpen, sometimes you can run out of gas uh, in October. We'll see. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I know that the, the White Sox are, are kind of getting poo-pooed a little bit because they haven't played very well against good teams this year, and they've been basically a 500 ball club in the second half. But, um, you know, give me Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito in the front end and, and Craig Kimbrell and Liam Hendricks in the back end and might be able to figure it out. They got, a, you know, a lot of dynamic t- talents in that lineup. So, 
I don't put it past them to, to go on a run here in what is kind of a weak American League field, really. Well, yeah, the White Sox. I mean, you talk about a team that's got swagger. I mean, everybody's got their jerseys undone with chains and they're hitting home runs. And I mean, when you know, when we saw them, you're like, wow, I would not want to match up against those guys. And I think no doubt our old friend Liam Hendricks, Craig Kimbrell, everybody coming out of the bullpen throwing 100 miles an hour. I would I would not want to match up with the White Sox in a seven game series. Yeah, Craig Kimbrell will be the you know, kind of the big X factor there. He hasn't pitched nearly as well uh, for the White Sox as he did for the Cubs. But you know, if he he's also a veteran who knows how to lock in and figure it out. So if he does, that you know, those guys can definitely shorten games. And what do you think about the National League West? You're going to have one of these teams with over 100 wins going to a wild card game. Yeah, a lot of people are upset about that. It doesn't bother me one bit, to be honest. First of all, this is the most extreme. Uh, outcome we've had since this format went into place with the dual wild card. And let's not forget why we had this system in the first place. They wanted the division championship to mean something again. They've got really watered down in the wild card era uh, when, you know, there was not much advantage to winning your division. Well, now there is. Now the other team has to play this extra game. And, you know, the schedules are weighted towards the division. So it's it's not always I think in this example, it's pretty clear to tell that, you know, the Dodgers are better than the Braves, right? We know that. But uh, but your schedule is weighted towards your division. So straight up records, you know, things can get a little wonky there. But um, but yeah, I, I think it just hammers home the importance of winning your division. And that was the point of this format. And it has been a uh, it's been a wild race and everything that the Dodgers have been through, if they could somehow end up winning this uh, absolutely crazy. By the way, uh, baseball analytics, uh, your book, fantastic, a fan's guide. Uh, talk to us. And we always like to our fans because, you know, our fan base is really big on analytics. Promote the book. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just meant to be a, a handy glossary for, for fans who maybe have a light grasp on analytics or maybe can't grasp it at all uh it's just an easy easy reference point when you see something cited you can turn to that chapter and it tried to keep it fun and conversational as opposed to you know talking down to people or, or using a lot of highfalutin terms uh we just it's meant to be just kind of a fun quick uh read and, and a quick reference point for hey what is a good war you know what is a good on base percentage that sort of thing uh there's there's handy charts and graphs and all that fun stuff to to make it uh, easy easy to digest basically have we ever figured out what exactly is the formula for war? Has anyone really ever looked? Because it sounds so complicated. It's easy to go, hey, this is the guy's war. But to actually how we get to that number, it just seems very complicated. Yeah. Hey, it's in the book. But the problem is then you've got these, you know, notations that are themselves require a, a calculation. And also the other problem with war is just it's different depending on which source you get it from. So um, that that's always you know, one of the criticisms of it is there's no one true war number, but uh, different, you know, different outlets bake different, different things into it. But um, that's just, uh, that's what made that chapter a little difficult to write because the other way, yeah, it's easy to calculate on base percentage. But, and I have, and I have, I have both the definition and the calculation for every step, but then you get the war. It's like, Oh boy, we got our hands full here. Uh, I did the best I could. Let's end on this. And, you know, when I think about the future of our game, because, you know, at, at this point, I got a ton of fans calling in. And the question is, well, what are you going to do with Starling Marte? What are you going to do with Josh Harrison and Jan Gomes and the guys we picked up? 
who are going to be free agents and Mark Canna and, and everybody wants to talk about the offseason. But my answer is I have no clue what the offseason is going to look like until the CBA is done. And I know people want to talk doom and gloom, but I also look at the amount of money that is out there for the owners, for the players. The majority of all good players have a great contract extension. They got good contracts. I just, I, I know there's doom and gloom out there, but what are you hearing potentially about the CBA? And these guys really can't be that stupid to screw this up, right? I sure hope not. And, you know, there is, if you go back, it's actually kind of funny if you go back and look at the doom and gloom last CBA, and we were seem uh, to be in a similar spot. And, the, you know, the, the players have lawyered up a little more, and they're, they're certainly upset about a lot of things, and there's a lot of things they have a right to be upset about. Um, but you're right that, this is different. It's different than 1994, you know. Um, it's different than the previous work stoppages in, in terms of, you know, where the minimum salary is and, and the sheer numbers that are locked in at this point and what you'd be walking away from in that scenario, especially in light of, uh, you know, the last year's issue with uh, only playing 37% of the season. So, um, so while I understand, you know, there's a lot of frustration in the air and, a lot of things to sort through. It's, it's good that they've already begun that process. Uh, it was interesting to hear rumblings about what MLB is already you know, willing to talk about, some things that they weren't willing to talk about in the past. And, you know, maybe that is a salary floor of some sort, payroll floor. Um, you know, we'll see where those conversations lead. But, but you're absolutely right that it's kind of hard to talk about the hot snow season without a CBA in place because uh, it's going to impact everything. By the way, I love the salary floor. I've talked about that for year on my for years on my show. Uh, it would change tanking. Hey, you want to tank? That's great. You still got to spend what, whether it's a hundred million on your forty man, or whether it's the twenty six, or whatever the roster size is going to be. Whether it's eighty million, ninety million, a hundred million. I just love the idea of a salary floor because I think it it will for sure change tanking. Yeah, and think about what it would mean if these kind of let, let's say uh, the labor negotiations drag on for a couple months in the winter, uh, and then they come to an agreement, uh, you know, maybe shortly before spring training, and there's a salary floor. Would that be the most fun hot stove season of all time, where every team has to spend money? <laughs> and there's a short window to do it. That would be, uh, you know, we kind of envy the other sports, the other major sports, in terms of their free agent periods. But that would that would kind of rival that, I think. Hey, great stuff as always. We always appreciate it. Be well and be safe, and let's talk during the postseason. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me. That is fascinating. Can you imagine if they implement some type of floor and all of a sudden every team you got to spend? You want to talk about the wheeling and dealing and where that would put you as a sport? I mean, everybody would be talking about that. Now, I don't know if it's going to be the 40-man roster, if it's going to be we're at now at 26. But whatever, if Major League Baseball says, all right, everybody, you got to spend, let's throw a number out there, Cody. You got to spend $100 million. So if you're the Orioles, if you're the Rays, if you're the A's, if you're the Marlins, we can go down the line. You now got to spend $100 million. Now, how you do it? That, let, your G, let, let your GMs go. 
but you got to spend that by opening day. I don't know if it will be this year, but let's just say if it is, or I would say next year. But wouldn't that be fascinating where all of a sudden you now have to buy players? The tanking thing is gone. Like unloading guys, gone. You have to spend. It would be absolutely fascinating, and I guarantee you they'd make a 30 for 30 on it. Oh, and and I, I think it'd be it'd be great for the sport because, in, as you mentioned, you you get rid of tanking, but you have these non-competitive teams, the Orioles. The I, I wish I could say the Marlins are a non-competitive team, but they made the Pirates. Um, that yeah. trash team from Western P- Pennsylvania, the only team to lose three straight wild card games. Uh, well, no, well, I mean in a row, but anyway, uh, they can spend money. You got the Marlins. I wouldn't say they're not non-competitive. They made the play the postseason last year, but. Those teams if, with money to spend, if the Rays had money to spend, say they had to spend $100 million and they're already this good now without spending any money, can you imagine how much better they could be if they actually spent money? If they signed a big-name player? Although there's not going to – I mean, how many – like as you mentioned, the only guy that doesn't have a contract is Juan Soto, which – Yeah, that's the that, – that, 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 and, and you know what? Anthony made me feel better because, as he said, it was kind of like this the last go-around – but let's face it, everybody's making money. All the primetime guys, the guys that you think are the best players, and I guess one guy that wouldn't be on that list, we talk about Juan Soto. Juan Soto's 22 years old. The other guy would be Matt Olson. But for the most part, all the primetime guys in our sport have a contract extension. And you think they're going to want to walk away from that? And there's something that I know about this generation of players. I don't think they pull the, well, the guys from yesteryear, they sacrifice for us. I don't think think this generation player is going to say that. I think this generation's player is going to go, hey, I got a contract for $200 million. I got a contract for $400, $300. Over a hundred million, and I want that money. And I'm not sitting out because you guys are worried about free agents who are 34 years old and they're not getting paid. Yeah, I can see. I think, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Tony Clark, my former teammate, by the way. Tony Clark and I played on a couple All Star teams together, but I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the union to be like, wait a minute, they're offering two more teams. They're offering more jobs. They're offering a floor. They're, they, they just keep offering more of what we want, and we all got contracts. You know, you're Mike Trout. You want to walk away from $435 million? You think he wants us to sit out and not make that money? Otani's another guy that's going to have to get paid at some point, but, like, do you think these guys are going to want to – I mean, you think about anywhere from Tatis Jr. to Machado to all the Acuna to all these guys, Bregman, Altuve, they've all gotten paid. And the guys that aren't, you know, like the the Correas and the Seegers, Corey, Corey and Kyle. These guys want to get paid and labor stoppage keeps them from getting paid. Yeah. And that that's going to be interesting. Another guy that's. Going to be curious to see how much he gets paid. His uh, old friend, Marcus Simeon. How much was Mar- is Marcus going to get this offseason? He's on the wrong side of 30. That's true, but 
You know, I mean, I don't know. He he's aging a lot better as an older guy. I'm saying older. You as think he, he's going to get a long? He he didn't get a long term contract last time around. You think he's going to get one now? I think he. I think ultimately he's going to end up staying with the Jays. I think they're going to extend him, and it's going to be like a two three year deal. Yeah, it'll be like somewhere around and what maybe around like sixty million dollars or something like that. Yeah. So twenty mil a year, but. Yeah, I mean, most of the guys are like, that are not entering free agency this year, the Seegers, the Stories, the Correas, the Javi Baezes, they're all Chris Bryant. Like, they're all, a lot of these guys are locked up. Like, Lindor is locked up. Pete Alonso still has a few more years. I don't, do we really call him a superstar yet? Um, so, a lot, you're right, though. A lot of the guys that we think about, they're already locked in the contracts. And, I mean, look at the Mariners. They're signing guys in the minor leagues already to deals, like Evan White, their gold glove first baseman from last year. They signed up to like a six-year deal when he was in double A. And Ryan Divish was telling us how they were trying to offer deals to like Julio Rodriguez and their prospects, which if you can get them to sign that, that's great. Because then you don't have to worry about paying them when they're, you know, as they're getting older, you're keeping them through the prime of their careers in their 20s. Not I, I, I am telling you right now, I would love to sit down with the players union. Bring me in, Mr. Negotiations. And I look at Tony Clark. Once again, Tony and I played together on all-star teams in San Diego. And I'd look at Tony and I'd say, Tony, there's a bunch of people who lost their jobs in this pandemic that still don't have their jobs. And if you think you're going to take on major league baseball and you're debating on how many millions your guys make, you're not going to look good. I, to me, this fight, I think the the United States of America will be looking in favor of ownership versus the players. You look at the average salary. You look at what these guys make. I mean, take a Matt Chapman. Do you guys realize Matt Chapman is making like $7 million this year? I want to say Matt Olson's making like five. This is generational wealth these guys are making. And you're talking about players who make millions of dollars who, let's face it, they're not ratings getters. There's certain players you're like, do people buy tickets to watch this guy play? Like, I'll buy a ticket to watch Otani play. I'll buy a ticket to watch, to watch Trout. But there's a lot of guys who are making, I don't know, $8, 9000000 million a year, and they're not guys that you would pay to watch. These guys make a lot of money. And if they're going to try and shut it down, it's just, I can't, I can't imagine it. It'd be such bad business. All your players are getting these great contracts. So whether, so like, so we say like Soto, it, whether Soto signs or not with the Nationals, someone's going to offer him what? 300 something million dollars. Well, I was saving it for if we get to buying or selling, but the, Spotrack, the you know the contracts contract website, did a projection, and he, they project Soto is going to be the first five hundred million dollar player. I mean, five hundred million dollars, like like seriously, you guys are going to shut down a league when your players are getting paid three hundred, four hundred, now five hundred million. Also, if you it was supposed to be fifteen years, five hundred three million. I did the math; that's around like thirty three and a half million a year. He would still make less than Anthony Rendon makes. 
Think about that yeah, for a second. Yeah, Anthony Rendon, who barely played this year, made how much? He's at like thir- what is he? Thirty-seven million dollars a year with the, with the Angels. And you're going to tell me that the players' unions complaining? He made he's in his contract with the Angels. He he was uh, sorry, not this year. My 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 mistake. He's making twenty-eight this year, thirty-six and a half next year, thirty-eight and a half the year after that, and then the next three years after that, thirty-eight and a half. $38.5 million for a guy that's going to be 36 when the deal's done. Anthony Rendon can walk down the middle of downtown Los Angeles and no one knows who the hell he is, and he makes $28 million this year. That's that's absurd. <laughs> Seriously, and, and you're going to say, well, I think we're being mistreated. Like, seriously? you got middle relievers. you got guys who get maybe three guys, four guys out in the game that they pitch, making six, seven million dollars. And you're gonna you're gonna mess up that apple cart? Like I I will be honest with you, I, I don't know what leg they have to stand on. I really don't. Is Martin Gallegos with us? Martin, how are you? Hey, what's up, County? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I, I'm doing well. Are you up in Seattle at the ball club? I am. I'm at T-Mobile Park right now. I'm in the press box talking to you. So uh, join some Pacific Northwest action. Yeah. How nice has that been for you to get back out on the road? Oh, yeah. It's been great. It's definitely a game changer. I mean, compared to last year when we were just confined to the Coliseum and, you know, not really able to go anywhere, um, you kind of feel out of touch. And not really knowing the vibe of the team now, you know, we're still not back in clubhouses yet, but. Um, being able to travel with the team and talking to guys during VP and stuff is definitely a little bit more back to normal to uh, the pre-COVID days for sure. So it's been nice. You know, when I think about this losing streak to Seattle, it's just very disturbing. Um, when you guys have been able to talk to players, you've been able to talk to Bob Melvin on these Zoom calls, what do they say about this losing streak against Seattle? Well, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's kind of befuddling to everybody. I don't think uh, they really – have a, a you know answer they can pinpoint it to. Um, I think you know a lot of these games have been close. Obviously, last night was an exception; it was a blowout. Um, but they have played them close. It's just it seems like there's a pattern when these two teams play this year. And I, I noticed that in that last homestand when they got swept over four games, it, it's a pattern that happens pretty much every game this year. The A's will score some runs early against their starters, but then um, you know their starter doesn't go deep into the game. The A starter. So they got to bring in their bullpen and, and, you know, their bullpen's been kind of shaky. And on the flip side, the Mariners' bullpen is just so dominant. It seems like the A's bats just don't have an answer for them. The, the bats just get weaker and weaker as, as the innings go on. and um, Not much of a threat in the late innings. It seems like they go down quietly over the last three or four innings. So it kind of follows that pattern every day. And it, and it kind of was that way last night as well. Obviously, you know, with it being a blowout, it was a little bit more exasperated. But um, it's been kind of a, a pattern here that has been tough to shake for them. Well, I got to tell you, I was very critical over Josh Harrison and Starling Marte yesterday when, uh, I, I don't know if you got to see the, our local broadcast, but they showed both of them sipping on coffee in the dugout. And I'm like, you got six games left. I didn't realize, is Starling really hurt? What is going on with him? Yeah, the Marte one kind of kind of crept up um, on us. You know, I, I hadn't really seen anything uh, suggested he was hurt. Um, I know he is a guy who... You know, being such a you know electric player, sometimes maybe you know muscles here and there tend to pull up. I think what they're what they're referring to it as is a soreness in his left lat. So 
you know, he's out of there again. He's been getting treatment on it. I think he took swings today. So I think there's maybe a slight chance that he could appear in today's game, but it doesn't sound very likely as well. Obviously, Harrison's back. Now, Harrison's a guy who I think since he's come over, he's, he's actually been dealing with a lot of, you know, several different small injuries, but he's been able to play through it. I think it got to the point yesterday where they really felt like he couldn't really go on defense. I think it was kind of worse for him on defense than it was at the plate, but um, he's back out there tonight, and I think he's kind of shown that warrior spirit to, to get back out there while he's still not 100%. Um, but with Marte, I'm not really sure. It's still kind of a mystery to us. We haven't really been able to talk to him yet, so so we don't really know uh, exactly what's going on there. But you know, it, it couldn't have come at a worse time for them, obviously, because they, they could have used both of those guys last night. Yeah, and obviously they didn't lose because those guys didn't play. It was the pitching, but... You just wonder, six games, now five games. I mean, the A's are, are truly running out of time. But but just talk about, you know, I, I know you guys talked to Bob Melvin. We'll be playing it here a little bit later. But just, you know, having Chris Bassett back on the mound for the second time, what are the expectations for Bob with Seabass? Yeah, you know, it sounds like he could potentially even start uh, in Houston as well with the team having an off day on Thursday. So, you know, I, I kind of asked Bob about that, about, you know, what it means to them to get him back for not just one start, but a few starts, essentially. And, um, you know, nobody could have predicted this. I mean, we all thought it was a long shot for him just to make one start coming back. And the fact that he's going to make three, potentially three, for sure, two, um, is incredible. And it's uh, kind of a testament to his determination to get back. I think he really was hoping that, obviously, the circumstances would be a little different and they'd be closer to a playoff spot here. But he's still going to go out there tonight and pitch like, you know, he has a chance to keep this team in, in contention because he does. I mean, if the A's lose tonight, you could pretty much wrap it up. It's already a long shot. I mean, it's astronomical odds here, but um, he's going to go out there with the mentality of, you know, it's on him to kind of keep the A's in contention for at least one more day. And he's their team leader. So I think they're going to drop some inspiration from seeing him back on the mound again. Just like, just like they did in that start against Seattle last week, obviously the bullpen kind of choked it up at the end, but... Um, they were they were pretty uh, spirited in the time that he was out there, so I expect that to be the case again. Yeah, you think about that tweet that he put out where he talked about playing for the A's, playing for Bob Melvin. It's why he wanted to come back, and the pictures right after he was hit in the face. Um, it really tells you, don't you think, what just a special kid this guy really is? Yeah, you know, and, and you know, those pictures, those are the first time that we saw those pictures. It was pretty gruesome. And oh. you think about just just being able to come back after something like that is, is nuts. I mean, I, I don't know how he healed so fast. Yes, he's a really obviously a really quick healer. And the, the mental side of it, too, I mean, he never doubted for a second. I mean, shortly after, I mean, the first time we talked to him, he was talking as if, you know, barely anything happened. Like, he got a little scratch on him. That's it. Um, you know, he always knew in his mind that he was going to be back here. So, it's not surprising to him that he's doing this right now. I think it's just surprising to the rest of us that he may able to do something like this. But, yeah, he's truly, I mean, a special guy. And I mean, if, if there was any doubt that, you know, this guy is an ace pitcher in this league, um, for him to have come back and that start against Seattle and look just like the old Chris Bassett, he retired the last nine guys in a row. I mean, there's no question. This guy, he's an ace pitcher. He's, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, without a doubt. Did Bob give you guys a pitch count, what we might see today with Seabass? No, but we did ask him last week about that, and he, he did say – he mentioned it's kind of like spring training at this point now when you're ramping up the pitchers. So I would expect maybe, you know, he went three innings and, and 50 or whatever last week, maybe five and 75 or something like that. It'll probably be around that range, I would think. You know, and I think about Mark Canna, who was very emotional the other day talking about his final home game of 2021 
which could be the final home game for him as an Oakland Athletic. But I think, as you know, and you've talked to him, this place means a lot. It's home to him. And I think he really wants to be back. Just talk about that relationship, a player, a franchise. And, you know, you're going into a different time, you know, with, with free agency. Yeah, you know, I mean, a, a guy who grew up obviously in San Jose and went to Cal. So, uh, you know, Bay Area guy through and through, he, he uh, understands the A's fan base and, and what they go through every day. And, um, you know, he's, he's loved every part of being an Oakland A. He's, he's embraced it a lot. I mean, he's had so many big moments here. Uh, obviously, those games against the Giants when, you know, the bat flipping and all that, he's kind of become an icon for that. And, and A's fans love him. Out in the outfield, the bleachers, bleacher fans, I know they love him out there. Um, so, yeah, it's a tough spot for him. It's, it's kind of like the Marcus Simeon situation all over again when you have a, a Bay Area kid who clearly wants to stay w- with the team um, but is in line to make a, a pretty good amount of money um, in free agency. I think even though he had a down second half this year coming back from injury, I think he's still a guy who's going to be pretty coveted by a lot of teams. He does a lot of things well that, that teams value the getting on base and, and playing you know multiple positions in the outfield. There's going to be plenty of interest. For him. So it's going to be interesting to see how the A's approach and you know, trying to bring him back. Um, but he clearly wants to be back. And, you know, he was emotional in that last game in Oakland because I think he realized there's a really good shot that that was his last game playing at the Coliseum as a member of the Oakland A's. So you hope that's not the case, but um, it's, it's, it's a possibility that's definitely been on the mind. And really one of the tough stories, too, is, is Elvis. I mean, if you look how Elvis played in August, in September, how well he hit, how well he played defense – just talk about how tough to lose your your shortstop like that because Elvis really turned his season around. Oh, yeah, he was playing his best ball in September. I mean, he was batting over three, well over 300 over, like, 21 September games. So, I mean, he was turning it on at the plate as well, and he was definitely a team leader in there for, you know, losing a, a big team leader in Marcus Simeon. He stepped right in and kind of filled that void as a veteran voice for a lot of the players in the clubhouse to go to as a resource. I know Chapman really – Enjoyed playing with him on the left side of the infield. I think he even gave him some pointers um, playing defense as well, which you wouldn't expect. But um, he's been around for a long time. He, he, he knows this division well. He knows the A's well. So he helped him out in a lot of aspects as well. And, I mean, to go out like that, uh, that's kind of, you know, if, if you're going to go out in a way, you know, he went out, you know, kind of like a, like a true, you know, OG, you know, going out on his shield uh, to score the, score the game-winning run with a broken leg pretty much. That's nuts. Um, you know, a lot of guys would have just fallen down halfway to home, but he, you know, put the team first and said, no, I got to score this game winning run. We got to beat the Astros and thought about the pain later. So, I mean, he got himself home off on pure adrenaline hard because he had broken that uh, fibula well before he reached home plate. It was around third base where he was at. So, I mean, I think the his, his teammates definitely respect him a lot for that. I mean, if you didn't respect him by now, um, you know, you got to, you know, up your respect from a whole, a whole nother level because, He's a team first guy, and you know he'll be back next year. I think hopefully. I mean, he's still got a year under contract, and um, he's obviously was a big presence on this team. And it's unfortunate that you know he wasn't around for these final this final week of the season to help out because I mean they could have used his guidance as well. I mean he's he's been in this situation so many times, um, but you know he went out on a shield and he he literally gave everything he had left to the team in that game against, against the Astros. Yeah, there is no question about that. And the good news is, is that. Broken bones heal. I was worried it was like his knee, and then that's a whole different deal, a rehab of a year and everything. I mean, so I, I, I know the diagnosis is not good, but the fact that a broken bone, he'll be healed and ready to go by spring training. 
Oh yeah, yeah. You know, when you first when I first saw it, I mean, I thought first thing I thought was, oh man, this is probably going to be like a you know Achilles or ACL, and he could miss a significant portion of next year. But it sounds like from when we talked to the ace trainer Nick Paparesta, he might not even need surgery for it. It could just be a matter of you know getting some rest for it. It wasn't near the ankle area; it was a little bit above it. So that's always a positive sign when you you can avoid kind of the ankle part um, and the fibula injuries. So um, it sounds like he's going to be full go for spring training, which is which is positive news for him. You know, when you think long-term for Matt Chapman, and we talked a little bit about it today, we know Zach Geloff has been promoted all the way from low A to triple A, uh, second-round pick out of Virginia. I look at Matt Chapman, 28 years old, so he's not young. There's a lot of rumors around the organization about the amount of money he was offered and that he turned down, and then now having the year that he's having. What do you think the future is for Matt Chapman with the Oakland Athletics? You know, I think it's going to be interesting. Obviously, I mean, you, you look at the contract status, and he's going to get way more expensive in arbitration. Him and Matt Olson, um, the two Matts are going to be making a lot of money next year, as are a lot of other players on this team. So you start to wonder if, if it's at the point where they might look into trading or have to trade a Matt Chapman or, or a Matt Olson. And I think um, in terms of, you know, a Matt Chapman, I, I know that, there's plenty of teams that are going to be interested. I know there was teams that were interested in them last offseason and, and inquired about deals. And I'm sure the list of teams inquiring, you know, the A's front office about possibly trading for him is probably only going to grow this year. I know his numbers at the plate haven't been great. Obviously, he's supposed to 200 strikeouts, but the power did return towards the second half, and he has hit a lot of homers here towards the end. And his defense is still phenomenal. He's going to win another gold glove this year. So, I um, mean, he's still an attractive asset for a lot of a lot of other teams being 28 years old, still somewhat young and in his prime. So you know, there'll be a lot of a lot of interest in him. I, I know for sure you're going to see, you know, rumors, you know, as the hot stove comes up about, you know, so-and-so team checking in on Matt Chapman. I don't know if he's, you know, uh, if it's a lot that he's gone next year, but I think certainly the, the, the trade talks are going to heat up a little more than you've heard in recent years. And, I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, they do have, like you mentioned, Geloff, and they drafted Max Muncie, could potentially be a you know a corner infielder, um, Logan Davidson a couple years back. They have some guys who potentially could be groomed, like you know waiting in the wings to take over at third base. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. What they think um, is their outlook going forward for next year. I know we got five games left, but I think I think we'll all agree this off season for the A's, not only for baseball but for the A's, is going to be fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, so many, like, you look at the arbitration stats. I mean, Chris Bassett is going to be making a whole bunch more money. Sean Manaya going to last year of ARB. Frankie Montas is going to be making a lot more in ARB. Trevino is going to, you know, I think his second year of ARB. Matt Olson his third year of ARB. Um, Chapman. So, I mean, by default, they're going to have to up the salary just to pay the guys that they still have on the team, which in turn, obviously, the, the trade talks start to pop up. Do they trade a starter? Do they trade a, a corner infielder? Um, you know, but I mean, they've still got, you know, players on this team they got a lot of free agents coming up, but they're still going to have a, a somewhat poor group of guys who, um, you know, have helped them get to the playoffs the last few years. And with a little bit of help, I mean, they could be back in playoff contention and be back in the playoffs next year. But, you know, to, to, to predict the, the A's financial situation, you know, I have, I have no idea how that's going to play out. So, I mean, we're going to see, you know, come winter, what direction they head and once free agency hits and all that, um, It'll be interesting to see how they handle arbitration. The arbitration cases are going to be interesting with this team. So um, a lot to be determined um, as we head into 2022. 
Well, I know when I go to Seattle, whether I'm with the A's or I've been with the Raiders, I'm all about seafood, but you are a burrito expert. Where do, do you go any Mexican food, and where is the best burrito in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, it's tough to find burritos out here. I've been told the Mexican food scene isn't that great in Seattle, so you know I, I do stick to I do stick to a lot of seafood. You know, some sushi. I think today, today we're going to get some marination, get some nice you know sandwiches out here. So um, a lot of seafood, seafoody uh, uh, you know place out here in Seattle. I haven't really. I haven't really found a taqueria yet, but I'm still on the hunt for one. So if anyone has any any suggestions, feel free to hit me up. Hey, I've walked all around Seattle. I've never seen a Mexican restaurant, ever. <laughs> yeah, no, there are a few and far between out here from what I've heard. <laughs> all right, buddy, great stuff. We'll talk to you soon. You be well and be safe. All right, thanks, Tony. See you later. Martin Gallegos from MLB.com. Now, I'll give you a great restaurant. It's actually in the hotel that we stay at. It's Shuckers, and it's phenomenal. It's in the Fairmont Hotel. And the seafood, the oysters, it's it's incredible. Now, with the Raiders, Gruden would have us out in Bellevue, which, let me tell you something. That place, I couldn't wait to get out of there. Bellevue is, how do you want to put It's all the people who, it's it's basically all the rich people of Seattle. It's all the, it's all the, you know, whether it's Boeing or Costco, it's all those people live out there. It's like the most unfun, beautiful place. It's really nice, really clean, but no fun. Bellevue, Washington, just outside of Seattle, Washington. I would, I would always take the expensive Uber back into Washington to have back into Seattle to have a little fun. Because you know, Cody, when I'm on the road, I'm about having fun. And I'm not hanging in this sterile place called Bellevue. Yeah. I'm sorry. Did you did you say Gruden? Season opener against Lamar Jackson and the yeah. Baltimore Ravens. Win at Steelers. We're going to show Big Ben what time it is. Win. Dolph. Win. Los Angeles Chargers, man. It's going to be electric. We don't want 4 0, Cody. You know, I just, I was you know, you were wearing the Raider hat yesterday, which bugged me. <laughs> but yeah, get on board. The Las Vegas Raiders are legit. Well, I mean, the defense. You got potential MVP number four, DC Derek Carr, my guy. Love that kid. Well, I mean, the Monday night game next week will be way better than the one that they uh, <clears throat> they gave us last night, Cowboys and Eagles. The best part of that game last night is that is the Mannings had Nick Saban on. <laughs> On the broadcast. Did they really? Yeah. And Saban was like, he was kind of normal. He kind of like smiled a couple times. And Eli was like asking all the questions. And Peyton's like going over the play. And Saban's like, you know, 10 o'clock on Sunday, I get in here. And I don't leave till, you know, I don't leave till, you know, Saturday morning. And he's just like, just straight robot mode. But they got him to open up a little bit, talking about like different stuff, like going boating and stuff. Like it was, it was, it was cool. Like I really like what what they're doing with the Manning cast. I think it's. Seriously, that's like, like we should do that. Put like me, Shooty Babbitt, somebody else over the broadcast and let us talk about it with everything that we know and all the insight and the inside stuff that we know. But seriously, the Manning brothers, even though I'm not a huge Eli guy, 
I've seen it. I saw it last Monday night. What they're doing is fabulous. Eli did. You know the you know the Dak Prescott where he does the hips thing. Where he did, like that's his warm up thing where he he yeah. goes and he Eli did it last night on the uh, on the Manning cast and he was nowhere near as good as uh, as Dak but like he was doing it and it was it was so good and just Peyton's reactions were so were so I mean they're. Someone had the best uh, best tweet. It was like Eli Manning. I swear, it looks like he lives at home with his parents because like, it looks like he's, he's in his basement. Archie was there. That was even better because like apparently Peyton was like, oh, you know, hey dad, thanks for joining us. And Eli was like, yeah, you know, it was nice to have dad and mom here, and you know, you know, staying with us. And Peyton's like, yeah, well, they stay in a hotel, you know, stay in a hotel when they come to see us. <laughs> so Peyton puts them in a hotel. Eli lets us stay at their house. So. Shows you how that how the different they are. Well, he, hey, by the way, Eli's the baby. Oh yeah, because the older brother, the he was a receiver, hurt his neck. Cooper, Art, yeah. Cooper, yeah. So, yeah, Eli's the baby. So, wh- where does Peyton live? That's a that's a really good question. Uh, does I don't he live li- in Indianapolis, or, or I don't know. And if where it's- does Eli? Does Eli still live in New York? Also a great question. Um, I don't. I'm asking I don't, you questions. You don't have the answers. I know. Uh, I don't. I, I never watched the broadcast from the start where they, they're from New Orleans. Yeah, they're they're Southern boys. Yeah, because their dad obviously uh, was a great quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, and they they grew up in New Orleans. But I don't think they live in the South anymore. I think actually Peyton might live in in uh, Denver. It says yeah. It says uh, I just Google Peyton Manning residence. It says Denver. Um, which makes sense. I mean, it's the last place he played, and let's see what. And Eli if I'm Eli, I said, I mean, Eli, you went to Super Bowls for the Giants. Uh, of course, uh, I, I I type in Eli. It says, "Where does Eli Manning live? Hoboken, <laughs> New Jersey." Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, you know, Eli Manning puts his six-bedroom New York, Jer- New Jersey mansion on the market. So I don't know if he lives there anymore. I don't know, but they both have nice well, yeah, houses. Because I mean, you forget that the Jets and the Giants. Play in New Jersey. Yeah. The Meadowlands is in New Jersey. I've been there. So we have about a minute left before we, we're out. That's it? The Orioles lead the Red Sox 3-2 in the bottom of the sixth inning. They just scored we three runs. We to our final day. I know. Well, Of 2011, like the craziest final day, which caused Major League Baseball to have every game start at the same time now. Yeah. Uh, I sent the I sent the Longoria home run for you to use for the third inning hit. So there you go. It's where you can use it. And Dan Johnson, former A, had that huge home run. Yeah, like to tie up the game, tie the game at seven in the ninth. But Orioles lead three two. Jays Yankees tied it two top of the fifth. The Yankees have guys on the on second and third with one out. Who won in two thousand eleven? Was that was that the Cardinals? The Cardinals what won the World Series? Who won the World Series in 2011? The Giants were 2010. I don't know. Joe Buck, why don't you tell us? In the air to left, well hit. Back is Craig. What a team. What a ride. The Cardinals are world champs in 2011. 90 wins. Cardinals won the World Series. That's right. They were like a total. they, they, They like, they got in. They weren't that good. Who they did they beat the Rangers? Yeah, they beat the Rangers. Who beat the Rays in the first round? So the Rays get the wild card, lose in the first round to the Rangers, and the Rangers lose to the other wild card team in the World Series. Yeah. So oh, Yankees up three two, in the fifth, two outs. 
So what, what what's our deal? If we lose, are we out? I mean, where, where are we? You got five games left. We're, what, three and a half back? Yeah, tragic number, I think, is a three. So you lose and the Yankees win, That's that take that takes you down the yeah. – This is just a slow, dying death right here. <laughs> Watch we, you know, you know we win, but zero point one percent our chance to make the uh, make the postseason. Yeah, so, so that's all I got for today. We'll save the. We can do the final day tomorrow. I mean, it's, yeah. It's, no, let's do that tomorrow. All right, what do we got coming up next? Uh, well, we only have a few minutes till you're on, so I'll play a couple spots here, and then we'll get you on for Ace Total Access at six ten. You don't have. Do we got nine minutes? Yeah, well, it's. I don't. None of our content is short enough. All of our stuff is too long. Because it's so good. That's why. Yeah, we don't need to cut down for, for commercial breaks and spots. <laughs> All right, we'll see everybody tomorrow right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course, one of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.